You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy! Hey guys, welcome to midweek episode number 20. So now we've been doing this for literally almost six months. <laughs> it's amazing. It is that. On on this episode, we have Seth Breedlove, who is phenomenal. Hey, you know, this is one of those little moments for me that I've heard Seth for two, three, four years on podcasts and stuff mm-hmm. and been watching his documentaries and then all of a sudden, we got to meet him for the first time when we were at CryptidCon. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, oh, my God, there's Seth Breedlove. Oh, it was I know. Like, I remember. It was just literally fanboying <laughs> in that situation. And so we got to talk to him a little bit. He said he'd come on the show. Uh, we had trouble connecting because he's a busy guy. Yeah. He's super busy. And, of course, he's you know runs Small Town Monsters, which does all these different uh, documentaries and stuff. And so then we went to the uh, Mothman Festival, mm-hmm. and we got to talk to him a little bit down yeah, there. And great. Uh, that was, what, September? September. Yeah, September. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was September. So both of those were September. We Actually, they were only a couple weeks apart. Yeah. And uh, so we set up something, and finally we got together and put this interview together. And uh, now I'm excited that it's getting ready to come out. But, man, I, to, to sit and talk to Seth for 30 minutes or so was just it was so awesome that I, I loved it. So, and you okay. guys are going to love it too. Cause we talk about a lot of different, because he's done, you can realize he's done documentaries on Momo. He's done documentaries on the uh, Legend of Bogey Creek. He's had, um, um, what's the one, um, Champ up in Champ Champlain. So that's the one they've done that, that was more of a water cryptid. And then the uh, invasion of Chestnut Bridge, uh, Chestnut Bridge, Chestnut Ridge, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. That's one of my favorites. You know, the Minerva Monster on the Trail of Bigfoot. I mean, and we talk a little bit about all of them, and they're getting ready to do one on the Bell Witch. Oh, cool! Yeah, so I'm excited about that one. And uh, they're going to be um, they're going to be down there for the Mothman Festival. Looking, and of course, if you come to Point Pleasant, we're going to be doing a live show down there during the Mothman Festival. And he's also going to unveil their new uh, um, Mothman movie they, they got coming out. Oh, my gosh. How exciting yeah. is so, that? And he's going to unveil that down there at Point Pleasant. Good. Awesome. So, Good for them. Yeah, you guys are going to love this because he literally talks about every one of these creatures, Flatwood mm-hmm. Monster, all of them that they've done these shows on. You're going to absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite that we've done since we started doing these interviews. Well, so. good, honey. All right. So we've got a story to do, a little short story before then. And I want to reiterate on this one before we even start, because there were some questions before about some of these stories being short and not as in-depth, not as mm-hmm. well-researched. The stories that we do here on this midweek episode, they are typically going to be a shorter story that really there isn't much uh, information out there on. Yeah. So that's why we chose them for this episode. So we didn't... We didn't short you on information on this, and we didn't short you on research. They're just It's just a short story. Let's just and, make stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> we had a reviewer say that. Um, 
but but yeah, I just want to make people know that that we save the bigger stories for hillbilly horror stories. Mm-hmm. And you know, because I don't man, trust me, we're we're dying and trying our hardest to find long stories for that. So if we've got one that we come across, we're sure not going to use it here as a you know a yeah. shortened version. We're going to use everything we got with a lot of information on that show as possible. So, all right. With that being said, this one was actually requested by a listener a few months ago. And I apologize, but I can't remember who it was. And I look back through all, so many messages trying to figure out, because I know it was on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I've looked back through so many messages, and I could not find who it was. So I apologize. And if you send me a message and let me know that it was you, then I'll make sure I mention you in the next yeah. episode. All right. This is about Pythian Castle, and it's in Springfield, Missouri. It got its name because it was built by the Fraternal Organization of the Knights of Pythian. That sounds fancy. The original name was Pythian Home of Missouri, and it served two purposes. It was a lodge for the organization, but also a home for the widows and the orphans for the lodge members. Oh, how nice. So it's kind of like uh, the Masonic homes, how they'll have... The um, mm-hmm. you know in Louisville they got some huge. I'm sure they have. Oh Marvel, God, but yeah. Louisville they got that huge campus out there, mm-hmm. and it's for people that were Masons and their families. Yeah, and they have it's really nice. You know they had an orphanage out there at one mm-hmm. point, and now it's more like uh, assisted living and stuff like that. Yes. So I'm assuming it's something of that nature. So the military bought the building during World War II, and they turned it into a service club and a recreation facility for wounded soldiers, as well as a training facility for service members that were getting training uh, from the O'Reilly General Hospital. During this time, the same exact time that all this was going on, the area uh, that used to be the old laundry building behind the castle, it held wounded German and Italian POWs. In 1947, it was turned into a veterans TB hospital, and it remained open until 1952. After that, it was primarily used for storage and fell into severe disrepair. That's a shame. Yeah, it looked like a beautiful place at one point. So the building was offered to the local college on three different occasions, but they turned it down because the land was worth less than it would have cost to remove the building. And we've discussed that on several occasions. It sold for $1,300 at an auction and was sold to in 2003 to Tamara... Whew... Finocchiero. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. She renovated the building, and now you can go take tours, both ghost tours and historical tours. So, okay, let's talk about the paranormal activity here. How about the fact that the castle was actually certified as haunted by the Paranormal Task Force and the Ozark Paranormal Society? Wow. So it's been certified as haunted by two different agencies. Good. So you had the normal things here, such as disembodied voices, things moving around, strange noises. But there are some other stories that kind of stand out a little more. There was a soldier on leave before being deployed overseas. He was visiting a castle on the second floor. He was completely alone, but had a feeling that he wasn't alone. Then he hears two distinct voices, a male and a female, male and a female voice. Having a conversation. He left the floor immediately because there was nobody, nobody else up, up there. Nobody up there, huh? <laughs> One of the most common occurrences are orbs showing up in uh, 
pictures up there, primarily in the basement area. Other things that have happened include a police officer on tour. He saw an apparition of an MP standing in the boys' dormitory. There's been lots of reports of shadows moving throughout the building. There's a ghost cat that you can hear meowing upstairs. And last but not least, there is Jess. Jess is thought to be a ghost of a man who had throat cancer. He eventually committed suicide. And the story goes that he get, gets mad that people are calling him by the wrong name, and he sets off the fire alarm. So I guess people were thinking he's another ghost and says, oh, this is Jill, or this is uh-huh. whatever, and he's pissed because they don't <laughs> know who he is. So what makes this place so haunted? Well, aside from the suicide, there's talk of an orphan abuse, but that was never actually proven, of course. And then, of course, the place was a hospital and had POWs, so there's probably some death there. Um, But probably too many to even count. Oh, I bet. So, Yeah. Anyway, so a little story about the Pythion Mm -hmm. Castle in Springfield, Missouri. All right, let's listen to uh, Seth. Hey guys, welcome back to Hillbilly's Horror Stories, and I've got a special guest. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, Mr. Seth Breedlove. Seth, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I will tell you, I told somebody earlier, I've only told one person that I was actually doing uh, this interview with you, and her quote was, Seth is a badass, and I couldn't agree more. Who who was this poor misled soul? <laughs> it's a young lady named Dolly that I'm interviewing right after you, but she's a big follower of our show, but she's a big follower of all things paranormal. She does nothing but travel around the country for the most part and go to every haunted place imaginable, and then she also goes to every rock concert, classic rock concert, so she leads awesome. my dream life. Sounds like my wife. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, so tell me a little bit. Obviously, you are, uh, you know, in, in charge of small town monsters. Tell me how that came to be. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's funny because you tell this story so many times, but the truth is, uh, small town monsters came to be because I was really bored uh, at my job. I used to I used to work a medical billing job, and uh, I would just sit at in a cubicle all day and kind of like, uh, I got hooked on podcasts cause that was all you could do. You know, you were, you were staring at a screen all day and you could listen to podcasts. So I listened to a lot of like paranormal. I don't know how I went down that rabbit hole really, but I went down the rabbit hole of paranormal podcasts. And, um, at some point in there, um, I started thinking about small towns and the, uh, cultural influence of like local monster cases and, and urban legends and stuff like that on the, on the towns where they happen. And I, I came up with an idea for how to approach a book project that way. And I ended up put, uh, pitching a, a book proposal that I wrote at work, um, to, a, to a bunch of different publishers and, and they all rejected it. And uh, about a year later, I met these guys who had been wanting to do something re- relating to video and uh, me. Um, I had a podcast at the time, and they wanted to do something with the podcast. So we ended up um, doing Minerva Monster uh, because it was one of the cases that had been part of that book proposal. So we just threw it all together, and we went out and made uh, Minerva with like 500 bucks and, and some Sony Handycams and it made enough money that we could flip that into the next project. And from there, everything kind of 
ballooned, I guess. You know, and it's I love all of your your productions that you got out, and, and uh, I think most of them, if not all of them, were on Amazon. Uh, so I've had a chance to check a lot of them out, and actually used a couple for some research on some of the shows that we've done. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the Beast of White Hall, we did. That was the the main one that I, I used a little bit because I couldn't. You you just had information that you just couldn't get anywhere else on the internet, and it's the same thing with the Minerva Monster. I mean, you've got a, a whole episode on this thing, but if you go searching the internet for Minerva Monster, you don't really find a whole lot. So it's amazing no, that, what you came that, up with. Yeah, that case is buried, and I don't know why that is because, I mean, as as far as these local monster legends go, that's it's really one of the, the the most interesting. And I don't say that simply because I grew up like 20 minutes from where it took place. It really is a is a very interesting case, and it's got a lot more. I mean, it's it's so much bigger than what we even covered in the movie. Um, and it's one that I'll always be kind of frustrated with because I can't go back and and add to it as much as I want to go back and redo Minerva. I just don't think it's going to happen. But the, 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 the fact was like the reason we were able to get all that information is because of the, the amazing people we interviewed. Um, and because of that, we got information that you won't find anywhere else. So we have, we have more information, you know, that I would love to put out there that, it, that we haven't managed to get out there yet too. So I, at some point, you know, I have to believe on the trail of Bigfoot, we'll get to it eventually. Cause we're going <laughs> to, I just said that without, I haven't announced anywhere that we're going to do more on the trail of Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> but at, at some point I, I believe we're, we're going to get back to Minerva. It just, it won't be in like a remake or a sequel. So, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with, with Minerva, Seth, give me just a, a quick little uh, synopsis of, yeah. of what that situation deals with. Yeah, um, Minerva's interesting because it really revolves around one family um, and one stretch of road uh, just outside of Minerva, Ohio, uh, called the Lincoln Highway. And back in 1978, a family that lived just off the Lincoln Highway right outside of Minerva um, started encountering a shaggy, hair-covered creature um, that seemed to live on the hill behind their house. Uh, it would come down to the house and watch the family. Um, and uh, th- there's vaguely creepy elements to it, although the family felt that, that the creature was you know, prob- probably not benevolent, but that didn't seem to be evil or anything like that to cause them harm. Now, that did kind of go out the window when they found their German shepherd um, ripped out of its collar and strangled to death. Uh, and this was like a 90-pound dog, and, and German shepherds obviously are nothing to mess with. But whatever this creature was, it seems to have killed this dog. They called the police uh, the following evening because this they saw this creature come down off the hill and watch them and seemed to be a little more brave the following evening. So they called the police. The police showed up and investigated, actually investigated the, the sighting, went up in the hill, tried to find something. Um, and the, the sheriff at the time, Deputy Shannon, who, he was a deputy at the time, he eventually became the Stark County Sheriff, which if you know anything about Stark County in Canton, Ohio, that's pretty impressive because Canton is a crime-ridden den of, never mind. It, um, <laughs> anyway, he, 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 uh, he investigated, he believed that the family was telling the truth, and uh, he, he, the, the case kind of grabbed that national attention, um, news crews from all over the country came to, to Minerva to cover the story, and all of a sudden, the area around the Minerva, um, the Caton's home, 
was crawling with Sasquatch hunters. And what that mostly entailed were, were guys with guns and beer, um, you know, <laughs> going going up in the woods trying to find a Bigfoot to kill it. So um, it got so bad that, that the sheriff on a daily basis was coming out to the area and, and they would have to go out into the woods and round up the hunters and drive them out of the area because they were parking in the middle of the road and they kept closing the Lincoln Highway. Um, so it, it, it was a big story locally for a long time and there, there were a lot of like sort of Bigfoot uh, um, legends that were involved in hunting for the Minerva monster, including like Robert W. Morgan, who lived in Alliance uh, one time, and, and stuff like that. So, it's a it's a really cool cool case that seems to have been sort of forgotten. The one thing that I noticed about uh, a lot of the documentaries that you've done, uh, a big portion of them do kind of feature like a Bigfoot type creature. You got the Beast of Whitehall, the Boggy Creek Monster. Um, Momo, obviously, all of those are similar to that, but you've also got some other stuff like on the Mothman. You've done, you know, that one, the Flatwoods Monster. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about out of all these ones that you've done, which one has piqued your interest the most out of all the documentaries that you've done so far? It's Bigfoot. Like, I just keep coming back to Big, Bigfoot. It's funny you ask that question because we just had this conversation, my, my friend Mark and I. Um, we do a, a podcast together, and we were actually talking about this very thing because nearly every time we make a Bigfoot movie, I say it's the last time I'm going to do anything <laughs> about Bigfoot. And then I just end up coming back to the subject. And it's unfortunate. What drives you away from this stuff tends to be the community because there's so much negativity that's flying around, you know, in, in some of these communities that exist online. And I think over time it can kind of wear you down, but you inevitably find your way back to it just because of the subject itself. And there's something so interesting about the idea that there could be a unknown creature that you know, it's like six to eight feet tall, six to 10 feet tall, depending on who you're talking to living in the woods behind your own home. Um, and, and I think that's, there's something very, there's something very, um, uh, it, it just catches the imagination that you could walk into any woods somewhere and potentially have an encounter. And, and I know that's not true, but that's how it feels. And it's, there's something about that, that, that draws me back uh, time and time again. So I think it's that. I do love um, the Flatwoods monster. That that little case was is one that I had wanted to touch upon for for years, and I was really happy to get to make that movie. Um, and and I mean, I love them all to to greater or lesser extents. I mean, I I find something interesting about every subject we cover, and some of these. I don't pick like I kind of let the crew sometimes pick the movie like we're making the mark of the bell witch because Jason our sound guy um, who also takes our behind the scenes photos has been fascinated with the bell witch his whole life and I was like I think I can come up with some cool angles to that and we can we can find a way to tell that story and we've done that sort of thing before where we kind of you know like what do we want to do as a group like what do we want to do other than another Bigfoot movie and and even I mean obviously with Momo I you've got to find new ways to tell these stories too. But yeah, the, I got totally off track there, but yeah, the, the, the answer is Bigfoot. <laughs> That's okay. So let me ask you this. Cause I ask every Bigfoot enthusiast, this, what do you think Bigfoot is? Is it, is it a creature? Is it something from a, a, another dimension? Do you feel like it's an alien? Cause there's all kinds of different opinions on what it could be. What is your opinion of what these Bigfoot creatures are? 
Yeah, I mean, and I I love every aspect of the subject. I think it's why it's so interesting, and it's why with On the Trail of Bigfoot, I kind of covered everything. I let people talk about the alien hypothesis, and I let people talk about portals, and I let people talk about, you know, the the, the unseen tribe of humans that some people think they are. Uh, personally, I think it's an undiscovered ape, if they exist. Um, that's just, you know, that's based on what I believe the predominant evidence sort of leads us to to believe it would be um the 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 bulk of the evidence and the bulk of the sightings behaviorally uh evidentiary it all sort of leads toward ape and um and what i experienced you know when we were making on the trail of bigfoot was ape behavior it was rock throws and screaming in the night so i know it's not the catchy the catchy answer and seems like people really like the the, the flashier stuff right now, but that's that's where I'm at on the subject. But I love it all, and I'll and I'll gladly listen to any any sort of theories or opinions on what what Bigfoot might be. I'm with you on that one. I, I actually think it's more of an undiscovered primate of some sort. So mm-hmm. let's springboard that into the Bray Road Beast. Do mm-hmm. you consider that to be? A Bigfoot creature, or do you think that's more of a dogman creature, or do you put both of them in the same category? No, I don't think it's a Bigfoot, and and I say that as solely talking about the Bray Road Beast. As uh, having been to Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and seeing the area, that does not strike me as a as a as a a, a landscape where something like a Bigfoot would fit in because there's no place to hide. There, there are some patches of woods, but they are tiny. And, uh, you know, now now that's solely in Elkhorn. Once you get up into, the, like, the Kettle Moraines and all that, I understand the, the landscape totally changes. But to me, the idea that people are misidentifying Bigfoot, and that's what, you know, they think they see a dogman and it's actually a Bigfoot. I just don't, I don't buy into that. However, I don't really buy into there being some sort of undiscovered species of canine creatures walking around on their hind legs either i don't know what people are seeing when it comes to dogman it could be something supernatural or paranormal or, or it could be i do know that a, a number of the sort of the four-legged you know the, the quadrupeds that people were seeing that seems to be uh coy wolves and and some of these uh you know the wolf hybrids that we have running around i do think that's responsible for for a lot of those four-legged reports how on earth they managed to like keep pace with cars and stuff. I have no idea, but having talked to Linda Godfrey, she believes that as well with, with a number of those quadruped reports. But as far as Dogman itself, I haven't, this is the subject we're going to get to as a phenomenon. We're going to, we're going to get into the Dogman phenomenon as a whole. I don't know when it's going to happen. I know it's not this year, obviously, but potentially next year or the year after we're, we, we do have plans to start delving into that subject, probably in On the Trail of. Like I said, I, we'll, we'll get into my favorite in a minute, but you've also done like Terror in the Skies, and you've done uh, the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Of course, we, we talked uh, in person down at the Mothman Festival this past year. It was mm-hmm. good seeing you down there. We're actually doing a live event next year, at the uh, or this coming year, I guess, and perhaps the switched calendar days. Yeah, I mean, I love the whole Mothman philosophy down there, and, and you've you know, that's. I think it's actually one of your best documentaries out of all of them that you've put out. Mm-hmm. Is that Mothman of Point Pleasant? So I wanted to commend you for that. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, that subject obviously keeps drawing us back as well because we're doing the Mothman Legacy. In fact, the trailer for the Mothman Legacy is dropping next week, and that's really the the trailer alone is going to hook a lot of people, I think, because it's it's a little bit of a callback to to the Mothman of Point Pleasant, but it's kind of cluing you into the fact that we're doing something completely different. Um, and it's more of a spiritual sequel, I think, to Terror in the Skies than it is the Mothman of Point Pleasant. But, um, yeah, that, that particular subject is one of my favorites. And I love, honestly, I've, they haven't adopted me yet, but I feel like I've become a, a West Virginia native, <laughs> despite the fact that I live here in Ohio. I, I love West Virginia. And we keep going back there. And I, if I could, I would make movies there every week. We we just, for the first time, stayed in Charleston a couple of weeks ago, and I ended up loving that city. Like it's this great little great little burb that I I never actually got to spend any time in, and uh, we we had a blast. We actually stayed there and shot all of uh, our first batch of interviews for the Mothman Legacy in a few days. So yeah, it's I'm really excited for for telling more Mothman stories, and we have another Mothman thing coming up possibly later this year too. Awesome. Well, my favorite out of all of them that you've done mm-hmm. is Invasion on, on Chestnut Ridge. Oh, uh, thank you. And, and That's my baby. Yeah. I mean, it's not my baby. My baby is Beast of Whitehall. But Invasion on Chestnut Ridge is the one that I think is the best in our in our catalog. I want you to spend a couple of minutes and tell people, because if they're unfamiliar with Chestnut Ridge, and until I heard you on, I think it was Jim Harold uh, mm-hmm. when this was about to come out, I was unfamiliar with the story, you know, and I've I've known all the different, you know, we just did the Bennington Triangle last week on our show. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. And so there's all kinds of different triangles, but this was one I was unfamiliar with, and I immediately, as soon as the, uh, the, the production dropped, I went and watched it, and uh, phenomenal. So if you could spend a couple minutes telling people if they're unfamiliar, what all goes on in this place, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, and, and actually, like, I don't, there's, I'm not under an NDA for this, so I can say this wherever I want. But we, we signed a collaboration agreement with Adam Wingard earlier this year. And Adam's directing the Kong versus Godzilla movie. And he previously directed like Blair Witch and You're Next and some of that stuff. But we're, we're in a collaboration agreement and putting together this pitch for a TV show. And the very first episode of the show pitch is basically called the, I think it's called the summer of high strangeness or something to that effect, but it's a 1973 chestnut Ridge episode to kick off this small town monster show we're putting together. So I am fascinated with the chestnut Ridge and we go back there. We've been there. It's been in invasion on chestnut Ridge, obviously, but then we touched upon it again with, uh, on the trail of Bigfoot. And then we went back for on the trail of UFOs. So it keeps popping up and Stan Gordon keeps showing up and all my stuff. So, but yeah, the, the Chestnut Ridge is a, a 72-mile stretch of, um, I guess you would call it a mountain range, but it's really just a ridge in, let me think, would it be southeastern, southwestern Pennsylvania that stretches down into uh, northern West Virginia and kind of ends around Morgantown, West Virginia. And it's a place where... Uh, you mentioned the Bennington Triangle. It's like the Bennington, Bennington Triangle or the Bridgewater Triangle, where it's it's a place where really weird stuff happens in large quantities and seems to touch upon every phenomena there is. 
and and you know, everything from UFOs and and Bigfoot to to dogmen and pterodactyls and orbs and ghosts and and basically everything. I mean, strange sounds. We had a whole section of the movie originally that about mystery booms we never got to, and that's a big that's a big thing that Stan's been cataloging out there for decades now. Yeah, it's a it's a place where really weird stuff happened. I think what really captured the public's attention or, you know, like most most people's attention who were into this stuff was the 73 high strangeness summer where there, there was a flap of Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings and they seemed to sort of correlate. And then at, at times people were actually seeing ufo with bigfoot especially in the in the uh there, there was one particular incident where a man saw a glowing sort of sphere in a, in his field and him and two kids went up to investigate what the sphere was all about and when they got up there they saw these two hairy creatures walking through a field the man shot at one of them it put its hand up to stop the bullet and when it put its hand up it, it and its friend or whatever sort of disappeared that's not the end of that story we only that's really all we touched upon in our movie but there's so much more to to the chestnut ridge and to all these cases than than what we managed to get into in that movie there's that's one of the reasons i think we keep revisiting the ridge it's and i mean just as a geographical location it's gorgeous like you can anywhere you go it's it's really a beautiful place it's also there's a weird uneasiness to it that I've never quite understood either because I, you know, Pittsburgh is, is technically right on the Chestnut Ridge and I was just in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh last week. And I don't get that impression anywhere around Pittsburgh, but you go to specific locations on the Chestnut Ridge, like Ohio pile and, and Cumberland falls and some of these areas outside of Kecksburg would fall in that, that realm. There really, there's a strange vibe about those places at night. It could just be that you're afraid that some guy is going to shoot you when you're not looking or something. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Some Hatfields and McCoy stuff. Yeah, some of that. All right, so I want to touch on two real quick that, that are in the in the catalog already. Mm-hmm. On the Trail of Champ. Mm-hmm. So you ventured into the, the water cryptids with mm-hmm. that one after you were done with this. What did you come across or your feeling about champ whether champ exists whether it doesn't exist what people are seeing what were your thoughts champ uh, this is a special project for us because it's the one small town monsters project that i didn't direct and in fact i I had nothing to do with the filming of it my friend alexander petikov shot the whole thing edited the whole thing I'm, i'm still so proud of it because he did so much work with so little he made that whole project for like twelve hundred dollars and filmed it over a summer it's just an unbelievable accomplishment on his end but he definitely i i came into it fairly skeptical because the idea that like a some sort of dinosaur or something you know some sort of amphibious massive creature like what people recount seeing uh when they're talking about champ the idea that that could exist in a place like lake champlain which is huge by the way it just seemed far-fetched to me but after reading and and watching the show and and all that stuff i think i'm i'm in the camp that there has to be something that we haven't figured out yet going on there i don't know that it means that there's there's like an uh, undiscovered creature living in lake champlain but there's something going on there that we haven't figured out yet because you know you you, you delve i think it's the history that more than anything that kind of got me thinking that way is, is the fact that the, the natives in the area recounted, have recounted seeing this thing for centuries and the fact that, you know, Samuel de Champlain himself claimed to see the creature 
And, you know, there's just so many things historically going all the way back to the 1800s, even when newspapers were writing about sightings of this thing. That leads me to believe there's something going on there, and we will probably never know what it is. I'm going to ask you about this one because you mentioned that this was actually something you wanted to do for a long time, a project, the Flatwoods Monster. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of the stories out of all the cryptid, paranormal, whatever category you want to put it in. UFO, this is this is the one that I've always just had the hardest time believing. Right. And it's stupid because it has nothing to do with the story. It has to do with the description of the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, am I the only one that feels that way, that I'm just having no. a hard time getting on board because of the description? No, because coming into this, my the reason I liked it was because of the the quote-unquote character design. There's something about the Flatwoods monster that seems like it was designed. And that's a red flag as far as, like, realism, you know, like this, this being an actual creature. But it's funny, when people t- ask me, what is the one movie you've made about a monster and that you're now convinced is real, it's the Flatwoods monster. I'm 100% convinced that what ed and fred may claim they saw is what they saw but what they saw is not what everyone thinks they saw and it's not what sort of the popular culture uh representation of what the flatwoods monster is was that's not what they said they saw what they said they saw was some sort of 12 foot tall mechanical object that looked like a rocket you know, what, what is not to believe in that? Why do why would we not believe that? So I don't buy into the skeptical arguments against it. It I've never bought into the the owl theory that Joel Nichol throws out. Yeah. And uh, and and I just yeah, when it comes when it comes down to it, after speaking to Ed and Fred May, and by the way, like we were the only people to ever interview Ed. You know, like the, the, he had never talked about this on camera before fred had but ed, ed had never spoken about it in fact when we interviewed ed it was the first time fred had ever heard him tell the story so even his own brother had never <laughs> had never heard him talk about the flatwoods monster but yeah after interviewing them and making the movie i came away a total quote-unquote believer in the flatwoods monster now you're you're 100 percent correct if you listen to their description mm-hmm. and just picture it it's believable but yeah. everywhere I go, especially if I'm in Huntington or, or anywhere else in Point Pleasant or anywhere in West Virginia, you've got that picture that they put out. Yeah. It just looks like something like if you told us a fourth grader, hey, draw a picture of a robot from space, that's what they would draw. And that's or, or, I mean, even our poster. I mean, our poster has this sort of silly, you know, the, the over-the-top version of what people have been seeing. Or t- not seeing, but talking about, you know, for, for decades. All right, can I talk about something you got coming up that I'm really excited about? Mm-hmm. Tell me about how soon the Bell Witch documentary will be out. That is uh, our first ever December release. So December 2020. So you got a long, long wait on that one. We will begin shooting that this spring, but I have been actually on this one, I've actually been conducting advanced interviews going all the way back to October. So I've been speaking with people in Adams going all the way back to October to kind of get ready for everything. It's a difficult subject for us to dive into because we've never done a topic where there are no witnesses sort of remaining. However, I've come to find out and we've come to find out that there are angles here that have never been covered before, particularly with, with people still encountering the witch. So we're going to we're gonna be opening some, some doors for some, some new 
angles to the Bell Witch story that, that have never been discovered if if everything goes to plan. But yeah, that'll be out in, in December of, of 2020. Our, our release schedule for 2020 is On the Trail of UFOs, uh, which comes out at the very end of March, and then the Mothman Legacy, which comes out in September and will debut at the Mothman Festival. And then the third release will be the Mark of the Bell Witch, which comes out in December. Yeah, it's no secret to anybody who listens to our show. The Bell Witch, to me, is like the greatest paranormal story ever. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was excited to see that on there because that's not typically what you guys do. No, and we, we like I said, I, you know, part of this is that our sound guy wanted to cover it. There's a very specific, very personal reason why he wanted to cover it i don't want to tell his story for him but he's got he's got a connection to the bell witch that's really interesting we have ideas and that's the you know for us sometimes we make a movie and we have no idea what we're doing until it's done filming and that's that is 100 percent the god's honest truth we'll make a movie with having no real idea why or not why but you know what we're going to do with the movie we've just made what we're going to do with the interviews so and and that was actually how we approached Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. We didn't really know how we were going to tie it all together. And But then there's something like Mothman Legacy or The Mark of the Bell Witch where we, we know going into it, we have a clear sort of vision for how we want it to be. And that's kind of how both of these projects are this year. And honestly, Momo was that way too. I mean, part of that was because with Momo, we had to script the whole thing, you know, and, and or not script the whole thing, but script half the movie. So going into it, Momo, Momo was the only project we've made where coming out of it it looked exactly how it it had looked in my head going into it so that was cool is there any potential that you'll ever do a hopkinsville goblin one uh the the goblins are yes yeah that story hasn't been told so you know i know there's there's other projects out there about that that particular subject or whatever but they haven't really retold Right. The story the way it, the way it deserves to be told. So yeah, we, there's definitely that is on our schedule. I can't exactly say when yet. Sure, though. Seth, it's been awesome having you on, brother. I appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody how they can keep up with Small Town Monsters and and keep up with you personally on whether it be social media or just on uh, the websites? Yeah, we're on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we have a Kickstarter launching on. February 6th that will fund all the projects that we're putting out in 2020. So if you like Small Town Monsters movies and you want to see your name in them, um, you can back the Kickstarter and you get your name in the credits and t-shirts. We have uh, posters. We're doing Blu-rays this year. There's a book coming out as part of the Kickstarter that's like a five-year retrospective that's like 200 plus pages. So there's a Bellwitch statue, actually, that's going to be sculpted by Gene St. Jean that's part of the Kickstarter. So there's all sorts of stuff. I personally am on uh, Twitter at Seth Breeds Love, uh, so you can follow me on there. And smalltownmonsters.com is where you can get all the info about us. And on the trail of .tv if you like to watch our episodic stuff. Are all of these that have previously been released, are they all on Amazon or is it just some of them now? No, every title we've put is on Amazon. Only some of them are going to be free, and it's going to start going sort of uh, a little more sporadically because Amazon has decided to start screwing over creatives. So we have to attempt to figure out what our best options are going forward. So right now, I think Mothman of Point Pleasant and the Flatwoods Monster are actually not 
on Amazon Prime free, but you can still rent them or purchase them on there. But everything is on on there. It's just there's a couple titles that aren't free. Guys, I said it at the beginning, but if you have not checked out all of these or any of them, if you're if you're just got certain things you're a little more interested in, these are without a doubt the best documentaries on any of the subjects that they carry, and I and I mean that a hundred percent. Awesome, thanks. So, all right, Seth, I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon, man. So, hey, how many topics can you cover in a short period of time? Like that? I mean, that was we, pretty impressive. We talked about, you know, is Bigfoot an alien? Is Bigfoot, you know, a creature? You know, we talked about all those different documentaries they did and the Flatwood Monster. I mean, we covered as many different topics in there as we've ever covered in an interview for yeah, that short period of time. It was a lot. So, Seth's awesome. Yes. Thank you, Seth, for doing that. We appreciate you. All right, guys. We will see you next week on our midweek episode. All right, guys. Have a great week.